Hey, what's going on, teachers and educators? Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. You are listening to Decompression Session Number 2. So uh, if you were here uh, last month, I did a decompression session, my very first decompression session, and it's really an opportunity for me to not be the interviewer, but to just share some of my thoughts on you know, my current teaching situation or, uh, you know, something that hopefully is applicable to you in this moment. Um, but really, it's it's an opportunity for, for me to share, hopefully, some of my knowledge that I've gained over, uh, you know, my last five and a half now years of teaching, which I realize is not an extremely long period of time, but I do feel like I've learned enough to be valuable to um a good number of, of teachers out there. So this is uh, decompression session number two. So if you haven't heard the first one, I'll, I'll encourage you to go listen to that. That was all about, um, that was some of my thoughts on stress and tiredness, right? Two things that I know a lot of teachers are feeling slash struggling with. Uh, and I feel like I, I shared some, some good tips or at least some good uh, knowledge on not necessarily even dealing with it or fixing it, but just uh, how we think about those two things. So the first one, I mean, I'll give you a quick highlight and then you can go listen to that episode. But uh, this past winter session, I actually took a class on mindfulness. And in that class, I learned uh, a couple things. So our we, we hear it a lot. Our response to stress is fight, flight, or freeze, right? Um, and it turns out, Freezing is the response, the stress response of reptiles. So if you go back through our uh, history of being, uh, you know, animals uh, and evolution and all that, we gained the freeze response from reptiles. That's what they do. The fight or flight response is a mammalian response. That's what mammals tend to do: is is fight or flight. And now there's a third one that they're studying and they're realizing is that primates have a third stress response, which is tend and care. Um, this is kind of how you see, like if, uh, well, I'll let you go listen to the rest of it, but if you've never heard of tending and caring as a response to stress, uh, go listen to decompression session number one, uh, which I will link in the show notes for this one. But anyway, um, decompression session number two, here it is. Uh, today, I would like to talk to you about just some of my thoughts on what, teaching life after COVID-19 might look like for us. <laughs> um, so my current situation, let's start with that. Uh, we have, we've been a in hybrid situation uh, basically since week six, I think it was, of the school year. Um, so starting in, you know, mid-October all the way through now, we've been hybrid. So I've had half the student population in front of me in the school buildings on Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday has been completely virtual for all students, and then Thursday, Friday, the other half of the population comes in, and I have half of them in person and then half of them on Zoom. So the CDC recently released their updated recommendations for uh, returning to in-person class, uh, in-person school, and to me, I thought that they were pretty vague. Uh, and I understand why that is because every school district is different. Every, uh, you know, the, the positivity cases, the, the positivity numbers of cases are different for each school district. So it, it's it's good not to have a sweeping declaration of how every school in the country should deal with it. Right. I understand that. However, uh, it feels like from my perspective that 
we've kind of caved to political pressures from uh, groups that want students to go back to school full-time five days a week. I know that many teachers have been in that since day one of the school year. Uh, But when we look at, at least our district, when we look at the CDC guidelines, we've basically now gone from, okay, it has to be six feet of distance to now, okay, well, it has to be three feet of distance. And to me, I don't think I've seen anything. I could be wrong. I <laughs> Believe me, I, I've been wrong enough, but it doesn't seem like there's been anything to suggest scientifically that three feet is just as safe as six feet, right? Um, so when we look at what that does for, for us teachers, uh, at least in my district, we are we're going down to this three feet, which allows now most of the kids to come back in person five days a week which is awesome. I love seeing the kids. I'm going to be able to be back in my classroom, which is also great. Um, However, there's still the 20% or so of our student body is still going to be on Zoom. It's still going to be a virtual uh, students. And that means that my frustrations with the current situation of teaching where half the kids are in person, half the kids are on Zoom, that doesn't get solved. (laughs) You know, I'm still going to have to have you know, a couple of kids zooming into each class and trying to balance, you know, I'm going to be in my classroom again. I get to do all of these fun activities and games and dances and instruments and all that stuff with the students in class. But the students at home don't have access to those instruments or they're not going to be with us to do any of the activities. So I'm really struggling with how am I going to come up with, uh, now that I'm allowed to be in my classroom, how am I going to come up with, you know, activities that are meaningful for the students in person but also meaningful for the students who are Zooming in from home. So I'm struggling with that a little bit, Um, but uh, that's not what I wanted to talk to you about today. I wanted to highlight some of these thoughts that I have for what life might be like after COVID-19. So um, I've got three kind of general ideas I'll walk through. Hopefully you've heard some of these before. They shouldn't be brand new, but um, if any of these concepts are like, you know what, I've never heard that before. Send me an email and I can connect you with, if you want to learn more about it, I can connect you with people that I've learned these concepts from and uh, they can dive into it deeper with you. But um, number one, if I haven't said it before, uh, anytime we are presented with a situation where it's a disruptor, Right, And COVID-19 has certainly been a disruptor for many, many, many people and many industries and many professions. So, it, And certainly it's been a disruptor in the education world. Anytime we are presented with a disruption like this, we have the opportunity to do a reset of some sort, right? So talking about what that reset might be for us uh, is an important conversation to have now. Right, we're almost two thirds of the way through. We are about two thirds of the way through the school year now. Up to this point, I feel like as an education system, we've been reactive to COVID nineteen, and I think now it's time for us to move to being proactive in planning what next year might look like. So first things first, um, I had Dr. David Kirkland on the podcast uh, all the way back. I think it was. Oh boy, episode 10 or 11. It was pretty early on. I'll, I'll make sure I link to it. But um, Dr. David Kirkland's out of NYU and he uh, shared with me something that really, uh, I was shocked to hear how effective this is. 
he said that they did a study where there were two different schools, each with the same curriculum, each with similar demographics and whatnot. Um, but one of the schools dove into the curriculum on day one at the beginning of the school year. And the other school spent, I think it was six weeks, really focusing in on social emotional learning, focusing in on creating relationships, not only between teachers, teacher and student, but between student and student. Talking about how you deal with conflict, talking about time management, all of these, uh, you know, non <laughs> non curriculum things that become so important to student success in the classroom. So, what they found was the the schools and the teachers that focused in on creating a safe environment, a productive environment, at the beginning of the school year. By the end of the year, we're able to go farther in the curriculum, have less uh, disruptive behavior issues. Um, in general, the, the students enjoyed their time more, uh, a bunch of different stuff. And so from an outside perspective, they had a more successful school year, right, from a bunch of different metrics. And that is something that we cannot ignore, <laughs> Um Diving right into curriculum at the beginning of the school year seems the best way to get the most curriculum done, right? To get the most learning done is you start learning right away. However, uh, it's the tortoise and the hare story, right? Slower, Slow and steady wins the race. So to slow down and to focus in on teaching students these skills that will help them get further is an essential part of a successful classroom. So um, I encourage you to look up uh, that episode of Dr. Kirkland. I think it was episode 11, but I will link it in the show notes. Uh, look that up and look up some of that information and, and bring that information to your principals and your administrators and say, hey, as a school, as a uh, district, I think this might be something to focus in on. Um and be the voice uh, of that change. Be the be the person who brings that to them and say, let's let's come back stronger. Let's come back uh, more productive. Let's come back different. We can't just go back to normal. We got to come back better. Um, and that's one way that I think we as teachers can have that effect. So that's number one. Number two would be just to acknowledge that online activities and online learning is not going anywhere. Um, and just just saying that this is not a what we're learning this year with uh, distance learning and, and some of the different variables of our classrooms this year. We need to not view that as a bandage for 2020, uh, for the t- beginning of 2021. Um, it, it's not a bandage. It should be a learning opportunity. So uh, taking that and saying, what is this technology? How can this technology improve our teaching next year, right? And the year after that, and the year after that. Um, Because I I read a study uh, that was about college students, and this was, I think this study came out last year, um, but it was was about college students, 33% of college students prefer an online class to in-person class. Now I don't know what the uh, what the learning outcomes are of those thirty three students. You know that's obviously something to uh, to take into account. But the fact that that many students actually prefer an online learning method is 
is another thing that we cannot just ignore, right? We have to say, okay, how do we meet these students where this is a way that they feel like they learn better, right? So um, if you are familiar with or if you're not familiar with the, the idea of a flipped classroom, that might be something to look at uh, and say, you know, is this something that I can do with my subject? Um, is this something that I can implement next year when, you know, hopefully, I say next year, but whenever it happens, is this something that I can implement? So if, if you're not familiar with it, my understanding of a flipped classroom is essentially all new learning is taught as homework, right? Students go home and they have a video to watch or they have a reading to do or they have, they've got something where the new learning takes place at home. And then when they come into school, that is the opportunity for the teacher to make clarifications or to uh, improve understanding or some of these other things that uh, are now being used as homework, right? Right now, the, the system typically is you come to school, you learn something new, you go home, you review it for homework. You come to school, you learn something new, you go home, you review. And this is just flipping that. At home for homework, you learn something new and you come into the school and you review it with the teacher so that you solidify your understanding of that. Um, and that's an opportunity where technology is an incredible tool for that style of teaching, right? Um, and districts have purchased and are subscribing to all these different technologies that I don't think are going to go anywhere. Um, so if you're not familiar with it, uh, there was a, uh, an article by edutopia.org that does a great job of explaining it. Uh, and that's where I got my information from, but um, I'll link that in the show notes. The flipped classroom is something that I think, uh, you know, could be potentially really cool for a lot of different teachers. Um, so I encourage you to look into that. And my final thought is around this idea of really examining why it takes a whole year before we say, okay, this student needs to retake this year, right? Um and I know that I'm I'm very much aware of this because my mom is a strong advocate for this. But um, even college, like you look at it and you say, okay, you've got a semester to do a class. And if you don't do that class in that semester, then you can retake it in the next semester. So even college is broken up by half year increments. Um, but I had somebody on the podcast that I was chatting with and, and they, um, I for, uh, forgive me for whoever this is, I, I forget who I was having the conversation with, but uh, they teach at a school that or they used to teach at a school that was uh, had a strong international, uh, had a large international population of students that would go take extended trips for a while. So what they did was every, I don't know what it was, eight weeks or so, they would get a two-week break. And that two weeks was supposed to be a focus opportunity for students who were falling behind in one or more subjects, right? So you do eight weeks of school, the kids who are solid and are looking good and are on track, they get a two-week break. But the kids who are falling behind, that two weeks is there to catch them up. Instead of waiting and saying, you know, by April saying, you know what, they're really not on track. Like, they need to redo this grade. Why wait that long? So that is a larger conversation, I understand. Um, but it just makes a lot of sense, um, you know, because our, our current school calendar, the, the idea of having summers off is based on the concept that students would need the summers off to go help on the farms, 
they needed the the families needed students to come help do some of the farm work. And so that is an outdated schedule. And if you've been a teacher for a number of years, you know that when students come back from those 10 weeks off, you're taking at least a month worth of time just to review, just to catch them back up on everything they lost over the summer, right? We call it the whatever that slide is, right? Um, so it's it's an outdated and truly inefficient schedule. And I know some of you are going, no, no, no. <laughs> the best three things about teaching are June, July, and August. And to that I say, yes, I, I understand that. I love my summers. But how nice would it be to go eight weeks and then have two weeks off? Go another eight weeks and then have two weeks off? Um, and I think that would be, you know, teachers are really the only career that gets the summers off, right? Um, but when you consider teacher burnout is, you know, education is one of the highest burnout rates of any career, so restructuring the schedule so that uh, we can do it in a way that helps to create a sustainable career for teachers, right? And I think having those intermediate breaks that not only allows students to catch up, but allows teachers to recharge a bit um, is going to be a, a step in the right direction in terms of student achievement and teacher retention, uh, which, you know, when you look at some of the inefficiencies of our school system, I think those are probably two of the strongest arguments for, um, you know, this this kind of switch in the in the yearly schedule um, that I'm talking about. So um, there you have it. Those are uh, the three things that I think we can do better coming out of COVID-19, you know, using this as a disruptor to reset and to and to return better not to return but to normal but to return better um so hopefully those uh those thoughts if you've had them before hopefully uh, you hear them and you go yep that makes a lot of sense or if some of those are new thoughts for you and you say hmm you know what this is something to think about this is something to consider uh and i hope you start to have those conversations with uh some of your colleagues, um, because I really do think that those are three things that uh, we can start to do as a teacher community to start, you know, improving some of the things about our education system right now. So thank you so much for listening to uh, decompression session number two. If you want to go find uh, anything that I did mention that I said I was going to put in the show notes, uh, they will be at jabadoo.com slash DS2. So decompression session two, DS2, jabadoo.com slash DS2. You will also be able to find a couple different things. Number one, a link to uh, our Facebook page and any other of our socials. I would love for you to go check those out. Uh, Connect with me. Connect with uh, other people who are following what we're doing here with Jabadoo. Uh, Number two would be to, you can also subscribe to our newsletter. So right now, this is just a weekly reminder that a new episode is out. But in the future, I'd like to uh, just keep you up to date on some other things that we are doing with, um, you know, Jabadoo and, and some of the other uh, activities that I, I hope to do outside of just this podcast. So um, would love for you to be a subscriber to that. And then last but not least, if you want to help support this show and all of the uh, 
support some of the production costs of putting these episodes together, uh, you can do two things. One is any of the show notes, they've all got links to uh, affiliate books. So any of the books that you hear on previous episodes or upcoming episodes, and you say, you know what? I would like to have that book. If you go to that show notes page, uh, there's an affiliate link that when you purchase the book through that affiliate link, uh, it'll just give a little kickback to us here at Jabadoo. So we would appreciate that. Or number two, we've got some Jabadoo original teacher tees. Uh, these are just some awesome quotes that we've put. Uh, had a friend from high school who did some really cool decals. Uh, put them on a t-shirt so that you can show your teacher pride on dress down days or just out and about. So go check those out. Again, all of those are listed there on the show notes page at jabadoo.com slash DS2. And with that, I will leave you for the time being until we come back uh, next Monday for episode 33, I believe it is, uh, with Colleen Lely, which uh, is going to be a great, great conversation all about uh, trauma-informed teaching. So be on the lookout for that episode to air. But until then... Do what you do best. Go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information was beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice, and that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content, and it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you, I appreciate you, and I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast. <laughs>